Having been talking about Advent just a few minutes ago with the kids, this that reminder that we've been talking for the season of, of Advent, the four Sundays before Christmas, speaking of the hope that God has given us. And in our singing as well as, as in the scripture, we've gotten pictures of the, the Old Testament picture that Isaiah put forth, that a son is given, a child is born, a son is given to us. Isaiah told us in 7.14 of, of, of his book uh, that the, the child would be born of a virgin. And Matthew, as we read this morning, confirms that that is what had happened. And so we have this hope that was given, looking forward to the Messiah. And, and then when the Christ comes, for us now to look back and still have that confident hope, knowing that he promised he would return. And when we compare all of the messages of, of the Old Testament, all of the passages of the Old Testament that, that spoke prophetically about his first coming and seeing how they were fulfilled in such tremendous detail, prophesied in detail and fulfilled in detail, right down to the picture of the cross and even, even Psalm 22 telling us that they would cast lots for his clothing at the foot of his cross, written a thousand years before it happened. And so as we look at, at the prophetic picture that was fulfilled in Christ, we can confidently come and say, we know that what is yet to come. And the hope comes through the reality of his bodily, physical resurrection that he has promised we also will have. And so 
that, you know, is, that hope is there. And that hope is achieved for us through the peace that Christ brought. The peace, we were enemies with God, Scripture says. We were deserving of his wrath. But we're told in the Gospels that Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, said that he would drink the cup of wrath for us. That was the one thing that he asked, you know, if this cup could pass. He didn't even ask for the pain and the suffering, the physical pain and the suffering of the cup. He said the cup because he would... He was going to drink our judgment. You know, the idea of drinking is to ingest fully our judgment so that there would be nothing left to take care of. So when he said, it is finished on the cross, it was done. And peace was now available to man. And for all people who will confess and believe in Christ, uh, the, the joy of salvation, knowing that we have eternal life. I feel like I've just gone through the wordless book or the, uh, with the colors of the, the wordless bracelet. They call it the, the story of Christ, the colors of, of, gosh, we see heaven, the gold. We see heaven, we'd like to be there, but our sin keeps us from it. And, but the blood of Christ, the red bead, the blood of Christ has opened the door for us that if we will confess Christ, he will make our hearts white as snow, and then we grow, mature, and transform into what Christ wants us to be. Today we speak of the love of God. Obviously, having already quoted uh, uh, John uh, 3.16, again, that's one of the verses that people who have never been into church, never picked up a Bible, still have at least, they know the numbers, the, the address, John 3.16, because it keeps coming up at baseball games, football games, basketball games, uh, and, you know, it's seen all, and, and that idea, God loves us. He has given his son. And that's the other picture that we want to make sure you understand. No one took Jesus. God gave Jesus. Jesus gave his life willingly. Nobody took it from him. So this love that, that we're going to speak of today is an amazing thing when you think about how important it is. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says that we have uh, uh, faith and hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. And I'm thinking, faith and hope, without those, we can't get into that love, you know. But he says the, the love is the consummation of this whole thing. It's what started it and what, has, what will finish it in the sense of resting in this love of God. It's the, it's the center point. Of, of who God is. And it's important that we grasp that. Uh, all too many people have this picture of God as the, you know, kind of the, the, the tally keeper policeman. <laughs> and once you enter into the grace of God, he, 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 the sin is removed. And his grace covers us. Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was challenged by the Pharisees, uh, having already been challenged by the Sadducees and the scribes uh, with questions. They were trying to trip him up and, and, and get him to a point where come up with a question that he couldn't answer without upsetting everybody or without uh, looking like you know he was wrong about something. 
And so the one thing that they would argue about was, you know, at the gate and at the temple steps and debate constantly was, what's the worst commandment? You know, or the, the greatest commandment. What's the worst thing that you can do against God? This type of thing. And, and, and what's the greatest of the commandment? Thou shall not do what? And Jesus said, oh, it's not what you, sh you shouldn't do. <laughs> it's what you should do. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And that's where I want to come from this morning. Uh, actually taking a scripture reference from 1 John uh, chapter 4. So in the uh, letters of, of John 1, 2, and 3, 1 John, uh, just uh, a little bit before Revelation, uh, starting with the seventh verse. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the covering the, 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 for our, our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And just real quickly, dropping down to verse 19, we love because he first loved us. And how, this, this love is the core, the center of our, of our faith. I was trying to think of a way of, of describing, you know, what's the best way, you know, this, 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 this love that, that God has, has brought to us. And... I realize that, you know, there's, rather than trying to come up with something, you know, just read what the Word of God has put together for it and go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and just read the first few verses. Paul speaking, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. I give away all I have. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, from those three verses, we really get the picture that, you know, you can do a lot of, Oh, I put it good, you know, put in quotation marks, good things, nice things to, for other people and still miss the boat with God because we're missing the love of Christ. First, the love that he has given us and the love that he then asks us to enter into with him. And so he gives us this first picture. This love is that is so important that it doesn't matter what else you do if, if, if you don't you realize that this basically means that whatever we do in life, what stands before the throne of God at the time, and believers, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, will have a time of, of, of standing for the accountability before the throne of God. And everything that God has given us to work with in the sense of resources and, 
and purpose as to why we, motivation as to why we would do something, we'll stand before him and he'll assess it. And it says, by, basically, he's going to uh, judge it by fire. And so everything that we've ever done in, for him in his name, you know, we're going to bring it in, in, and put it on the altar. And it's going to amount to, and he puts six categories out, you know, uh, hay, wood, and stubble, or jewels, silver, and gold. Now, we know what happens to hay, wood, and stubble. It will leave, ultimately, ash. Different speeds that it might burn, but it ultimately leaves ash. The jewels, the silver, and the gold, the jewels will remain stable. The silver actually is refined and the most valuable, according to the way man thinks, of, of things. Gold is purified by the fire. And those things will stand. And I was trying to think of, okay, so what's the gold standard for God? You know, love. How we love one another. Things that we do because we love Christ as we do it for other people. That's what's going to stand before the throne of God at the end of time. He tells us, just a, and Paul gives us a, a picture of this love in, starting with verse 4. Love is patient and it is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. And it, in other words, it, it, you know, there's people that look around and they, they see their, you know, somebody that's been successful with it and they fall and it's kind of like makes you feel better. You know, look what happened to them, you know, this type of thing. We don't rejoice in the wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And then verse 13 again, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. It is impossible to have the love that Paul is speaking about without Christ in our lives. You cannot have this love without Christ working in you. We are not capable of it. Fallen man without the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us, cannot offer this. You can be. A, uh, I, I think of, of, of a number of people that I've known that some people would even say, uh, you know, man, this person would, you know, uh, was was just so great and so kind and so generous, uh, you know. He must be in heaven, even though he never knew the Lord, never cared to know the Lord. The idea is he's just such a nice person, so good. Without the love of Christ here and here, you know, this idea of relationship, it's not enough. Without Christ, we do not have this love. And so I was looking for a thought on this, and I was, I was trying to say, okay, well, before Christ, and rather than, than going back to you know, a testimony or my own life in some way, just the idea that without Christ, what, what, is, what are things like in the world? And uh, I decided to use uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, just a couple of verses out of there, uh, how Paul decides walking as Gentiles, meaning people uh, without Christ. Now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Important phrase. Hang on to this one. 
futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. What he's speaking about is their ignorance about the things of God, the things of Christ, the things that God has done, the love of God. They're ignorant because of the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensual, greedy, uh, uh, sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of in, uh, 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 impurity. Uh, that is not the way that you have learned Christ. And he goes on to explain the other side of that. So the world without Christ is, is, is one that is got a, a futility of mind, a, a darkened understanding. Very, very important that you, you get that. Uh, futility is the idea of, of useless, something that is futile to keep doing something. Somebody say, well, that's a futile thing. You know, you're, you're never going to what? Accomplish it. You're never, you know, futility is the idea of doing something over and over and over again and knowing that it's not going to go anywhere, but you keep doing it anyway. Okay, and, and this idea of a darkened mind that goes with that has nothing to do with education, has nothing to do with the ability to, to uh, of the things of day-to-day -day life. What we're talking about is the things of spiritual. Uh, the, the, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and basically you know, spoke of, of the fact that, that they were you know, darkened in the way they thought, the fact that they ignored uh, scripture in the sense of, of, of who Christ is. He said, Abraham, knew me. Abraham rejoiced. And they're saying, oh, you know, we're, we're children of Abraham. And Jesus said, no, you're not. Your father is not God. Your father is, what did he say? The devil. Pretty harsh. Why was that? Even men who were actually reading scripture, actually going to the temple, actually thinking in terms of the prophetic, even looking ahead to the Messiah, because they were refusing to seek the face of God and his love, his mercy, his grace. Their minds were darkened. Futility of mind. The things that we do in that kind of a situation uh, has no lasting value to it. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, it's the carrying out, uh, this futility of mind is, is involved in the carrying out of, of the, the, the desires of the flesh and the mind, but not looking or seeking the face of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, we all once walked in that way. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? We all once walked in the futility of mind. What changed? What became different? Well, what became different is God opened our eyes to his love to his mercy, to his grace. And in the process, we approached the throne of God and cried out, Lord, you alone can save me. You alone are God. You alone are my hope. You alone are the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other name under heaven by which we might be saved. I'm thinking of all the different scriptures that come into that picture of recognizing that Christ and Christ alone is our Savior. And this change 
is, uh, is basically, I, I, I can't think of another way of phrasing it, a turning point in our lives. Romans 10 uh, verses 9 and 10 says that, you know, it's that point where we uh, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and that we believed in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that this change takes place. And I, and I started to put it this way, and the battle is done. And I thought, no, I'm going to put it this way instead. The war is done. Meaning that everything that separated us from God at that point is out of the picture. There is still a battle going on. And we see that battle described in Romans chapter 7. Uh, you know, I, I desire to do the things. God has put this desire uh, to do the right things into my, in my heart, but I get caught up with the flesh and I do the things that I don't want to do. That's the battle that's going on. And I, and I put it clearly for me, it was just, it's the battle for my mind. Instead of having this darkened mind, a futile mind, a, a mind that doesn't achieve anything lasting, the, the battle is, is, is to seek to do the things that God would have me do. The battle for my mind is constant. Every day, every hour, I suppose if you would put it in the waking context, every moment. what I will dwell on, what I will think about, what I will give my time to, and my motivation for doing it. What are my, the, 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 God has put in me something that, that's fresh, a whole new set of core values from what the world has. The values that I have starting again with recognizing who Christ is, but now in a sense, changing my whole perspective on everything. My belief window, you hear me use that term frequently, the things on my belief window have radically changed. You know, there was a time in my life where I said, if there is a heaven, I suppose I'll go. I'm, I'm as good as anybody else. To the point where I recognize that you only go to heaven, there is a heaven, and the only way there is through Christ and Christ alone. All of this way of thinking. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, tells us that we're to have the mind of Christ. To, to, to be developing the idea of thinking Christ-like. And, and so even looking at that, uh, uh, see how he puts it in verse 5 of chapter 2 of Philippians. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the mind we're have, to have. And by the way, it's not what follows that is, is, is the mind we're to have. It shows us his mind, but what, what, it's what precedes it. Have this mind. What mind? The one that I just explained to you. So let me give you these verses. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord 
and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Exact opposite the way we're told to, to think. And, you know, not me first, but others. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind of Christ. How, how much did Christ show us this interest for others, the interest of doing for others? Well, he came and emptied himself from his, his, uh, in his heaven, you know, from heaven. He emptied himself of his uh, position, if you will. He took it off as a mantle and, and set it aside. And he came to earth as a man. It says not only as a man, but a servant to men. And not only a servant to man, but as one who would die for man. To have this sacrificial attitude about each other towards others. We are to be rooted, I think is a good way of looking at it, to be rooted like a tree in Christ. In fact, Psalm 1 talks about a person who doesn't look to the world for its counsel and the world for his direction, but looks to God and his word for direction, becomes like a tree, firmly or planted or rooted by the stream. And the word stream there is a word for canal. That it's, it's where God provides the water. It's a garden that God has planted. And, we, and it says we yield our fruit in its season. And the fruit, according to Paul in Galatians chapter 5, is love. Exhibited again as the way he described it in 13, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. That love of patience, kindness, long-suffering, gentleness. So basically what this love does is it goes from me-centered first and foremost, to Christ-centered. And when it becomes that, it becomes other-centered. And I was trying to put this in a way that was as simple as I could. And I went, it goes from woe is me <laughs> to wow in Christ. You know how simple it is to look around and say, you know, I don't have or I need to have or if I only had, woe is me. Instead of, it, it's, it's, instead of that, it's looking at what Christ has done. And no matter where we are, no matter what circumstances are around us, it's, wow, what has Christ done for me? This transformation, the renewing of our minds, we've spoken about it many times now from Romans chapter 12 has to do with what we think on and what we dwell on in, our, in, our, in, our, in that process. And I'm thinking, I want to be so careful that I don't misrepresent this. Because in the, in the world today, there's a whole move of it's what we would call positive thinking. And, and, and it's not based on the things of Christ. And I think that if it's, if it's not based on scripture, it's missing the very essence of what it needs to, sh to be lasting value. And when we say lasting value, we're referring to eternity. But Paul does say that we are to have an attitude that one would look at as 
one of a positive attitude. Listen to what he writes again to the Philippians. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Dwell on these things. These are the things, you know, these are the things that a, a mind that has been enlightened instead of darkened, that's out, has moved away from futility and into purpose. He says, this is, these are the kinds of things we look to think on, to dwell on. The positive things that God has provided. How often in a day do, you, do we, we sit and think and, and, and thank God for what he's going to do eternally and, and contemplate for a few moments at least the new heavens, the new earth, a place absolutely void of sin, seeking the, the face of God in an environment like that and knowing that, you know, seeing him face to face rather than in a mere dimly. What are the things that you dwell on through the day, the things that you think about? I know I've shared with you many times about the guy that I met that set his watch five minutes off the hour to go, you know, uh, when they came out with the first digital watches, his alarm would go off at, one, you know, uh, 11.05, 12.05, 1.05. And it was just to remind him, had he given any thought to the awesomeness of who God is and what God was doing for him? Again, this love begins and ends with Christ. He loved us before we loved him. And it's his love that draws us into him and then, as a result, transforming us, the love that we see and extend to him in worship. He wants us also to extend in relationship with each other, with our wives, our husbands, our children, our neighbors. In fact, when he is asked about the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Through his love and because of his love, we have victory in this life. We are no longer futile-minded, if you will, dark-minded, but his light invades and we have purpose. Paul tells us in, towards the end of Romans chapter 8, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. In all things, more than conquerors through him who loves us. Colossians, as we approach communion this morning, just looking at this in Colossians, it says, for in him all the fullness of God has, was pleased to dwell. That's Emmanuel, God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Our hope, our peace, 
our joy, the love, the very love that we share in Christ and with each other is all through what Christ has done for us. He emptied himself. Became a man. As soon as he was stepped foot in, on this earth in a sense of, uh, of even, even from the womb, as, as soon as he was taking his first breath of air, we should have been rejoicing in him as a world. We should have looked at him and elevated him and, and worshipped him. Interesting thing, even in the womb, though, he was recognized. Do you recall the story? The passage? John the Baptist leaped with joy in the womb of Elizabeth because Jesus, in the womb of Mary, was in his presence. But Jesus set that aside in the sense of what was owed him, due to him, should have been given to him, and came as a servant even to the point of death on the cross. So that we could share the love that he has for us. God so loved that he gave. He asks us to so love that we receive the gift, but also to give to each other. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ. But in the picture up here, I pointed out every year, the star up there has the emblem of the cross as well. At the birth of Jesus, the cross loomed over it to let us know, again, the purpose that he had. To come to that point on the cross where he would say, it is finished. And when we join in with that and we agree, it is finished in Christ, we have what he came to give. His love for us. And when we celebrate Christmas, it's more than the giving of gifts. It's more than that celebration of families, which are all awesome parts of it. But it's the receiving of the gift of Christ and the giving of the gift of Christ to others around us. Just finish off with this last thought, 1 John chapter 5. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Ask the ushers to come forward um, to uh, pass the emblems of communion out. Hold them till we've all been served and we'll share together. Shines in our darkness, you bring hope.
Peace that the world can't give. There's no one in this room that can bring this peace for anybody else except through the love of Christ. We can share it with someone else, but we can't even give it to them in the fullest sense until they they have to receive it from Christ himself. Paul writes about the, 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 the Last Supper. Even though he wasn't there, he says, what I have received from the Lord, what the Lord revealed to him, but I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Father, we thank you for the hope that you have given us, for the peace that you have brought to us, the joy that you have put into our hearts, and the love that you have revealed through your gift of, of, of life you gave yours and thank you Lord for the physical bodily resurrection that we know that we know because of what you have done for us and what we've seen that you have done that you will complete what you have promised and that we too will share in the resurrection that we too will share according to Romans 8 all of, uh, of the inheritance that you have you're going to share with us new heavens new earth and all that that we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. And Lord, at this Christmas time, we ask that you would cause our hearts, to, I think of that picture as you, you were sharing in the temple at the time of the, of, the, of the pouring out of the water in the temple. It says, you know, I'm the living water, and as you give it to us, that we will be filled to overflowing, that we would be overflowing with your love as we go finish shopping, as whatever, wherever we work, whatever we do, that, that your love would be overflowing in such a way that we would influence people and, and, and bless people and possibly seek someone to even ask, what is it that's in you? And being obedient to what Peter told us, that we would give the testimony of what you've done for us. Thank you for the love, the grace, the mercy that you've poured out on us. We worship you in Jesus' name.